Matthew chapter 11. If you're joining us for the very first time tonight, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Tim Shepard. I'm the student ministry pastor here, and I'm really happy that you're joining us this evening. We have been in a series in the book of Matthew. If you are brand new to church and you're like, I don't know what that means, we have this book called the Bible. Um, and Matthew uh, makes up the first book of the second part of that Bible called the New Testament. And what this is, it's an account. Everyone say an account. It's an account of the life of Jesus. And so for the last three weeks, we've been kind of Building on this theme that we start to see in the book of Matthew, where Matthew uses this language, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, there is a new reality, a new, a new part of this narrative of, of the grand redemptive narrative at hand. There's a, a new way in which God is inviting his people to live. And over the course of the last three weeks, we've talked about how Jesus has done a lot of work to expose that we are a people in need. Everyone say in need. Look at the person next to you and say, you're in need. Look at the other person and say, you're definitely in need. <laughs> you're definitely in need, right? So we're a people in need, a people in need. And, and what we're gonna see tonight is one of the first explicit texts that Matthew gives us where Jesus goes, here's how I'm going to meet that. Need. So tonight I want to talk to you about how Jesus is good news. Everyone say good news. Good news. If you read throughout the New Testament, you'll start hearing this word. And we hear this word often in church circles called gospel. Everyone say gospel. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, which means good news. It means something that has been done. Not necessarily something that's going to happen but something that has been done. And what we wanna to see tonight is how Jesus, though he has revealed the need, he's gonna show us how he meets that need here in this text this evening. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25 is where we're gonna be this evening. We're gonna read five quick verses. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow with me on the screen. Matthew 5, or Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25, it says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We need you. I need you. My friends need you. We all need you. And so Lord, as 
we dive a little bit deeper into the text that you have given us here this evening, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Eyes to see as we were just singing your beauty. How beautiful you are. How precious this good news is. I pray that you give us ears to hear. Not ears to hear our own voices, not ears to hear our own thoughts, but ears to hear your voice. Father, I pray that you would just in your own way begin to mute all the other voices that are ringing in our heads right now. Just make it to, so that we could hear you. Lord, I pray that you would calm us, that you would settle our souls, settle our hearts, settle our minds here this evening. If all we were to hear tonight is those three words from you, come to me, that would be enough. So Lord, I pray in light of that, that you would give us the faith, the humility, and the belief to respond to those words. Would you come and would you reveal just a little bit more of yourself to us here this evening? I pray that you would help us in a unique way or for the first time grasp what this good news is that Matthew's talking about here. We thank you, Lord. I, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you agree with that this evening, can you say amen? You guys hear my little daughter breathing as I'm praying? <laughs> so exciting. You're so cute, Haven. You're so pretty. Yeah, I see you back there. Um, all right, I gotta focus. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Oh yeah, the gospel. The gospel. Jesus is good news. Everyone say good news. Good news. So what we have Jesus doing here is something really unique. It's, it's a couple times in scripture where we have Jesus kind of take a step back and, and he's, he's, he's almost saying a prayer right now. He's talking to his father and he's going, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Before we get into like the most popular verses here in Matthew 11, a lot of people know that come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. That's the type of verse that we put on, on mugs and we put on like paintings on the wall because we love these words and they are precious words. But before we get there, I want us to pay attention here to verse 25, 26, and 27. What is he saying about this good news? This gospel, like what, what is this gospel that, that Jesus is, is wanting to talk about? And, and what I think is really important for us to notice here is just kind of three simple things. And we're going to head back into worship as we respond to these words. The first is this simply that the gospel is God's choice. The gospel is God's choice. Can we put that first point up there? The gospel is God's choice. If... Let me say it this way. Have any of you ever been in a situation before? This often happens in elementary school, in junior high, in PE. It's the worst thing about public school is you, you show up and, and the PE teacher might go, okay, I'm gonna get, have two team captains. And he chooses two team captains and he goes, okay, pick your teams. And have you ever been a part of the one 
who sits there and they're like, I want you. I want you. Yeah, yeah. Will's with me right here. I want you. And like you're watching the crowd get smaller and you're standing there. And I'm saying this in first person because this has been me many times. I'm just waiting to get picked. Like, I want you. And it comes down to like three of you left. And you look to like your left or to your right and you're like, surely. (laughs) Surely. I must be a better option than this or this. And then they pick this person and you look to your right and, and that person looks at you and you both like hit that moment of like, I'm sorry. And then, and then that person gets, and, and you're, have I ever had anybody in here who's the last one picked is the question that I'm asking. Okay, there's a moment and I will never forget this moment. I grew up as a homeschool kid. Do I have any homeschoolers in here? Yes. We are all so socially awkward growing up, okay? I grew up as a homeschool kid and what we used to do is we used to have this like homeschool co-op on Thursday mornings during like the school year at Black Forest Regional Park, okay? And this is where like eight homeschool families came together and we played at the park for like three and a half hours because when you're homeschooled, you do nothing but sit at home. Right? And so we show up at the park this day, and when I was like eight years old, I felt like I was all that in a bag of chips. I never did pride or rush or prejudice or whatever soccer clubs you guys call these days. We had a thing when I was a child called Parks and Rec. Did, has anybody done Parks and Rec sports before? Of course, like only three of you. This is like North End Colorado Springs. There's not many of us. Parks and Rec, it's like the south side of the city, okay? And it's like you, like, you don't have a team name. You're the orange team and you're the blue team and like the purple team, right? Like this, this house, I would wear my Parks and Rec soccer shirt. Okay? Like I had like the graphics, I'd show up. I had these like high rise soccer shorts that I would tuck my shirt into. Don't be hating on a tuck shirt. All of you are headed there at some point in your life. All right? And I'd show up. And here's the thing. My dad was like too cheap to buy us like fitted socks as kids. So what he'd do is he'd buy us adult socks from Walmart that you just like kind of had to work with. So I wore socks that like came up to here and like the heel was like up here, you know what I mean? And then I would roll it down. I'd roll them down and then I'd have sneakers from Goodwill because my dad like never took us anywhere other than Goodwill and Salvation Army. Because on Mondays or Tuesdays, they had like 50% off military discount. And so that's what you did. So I'd show up to the park like ready. And I will never forget this moment. We were picking teams for flag football. And if you knew me as a kid, you knew that I was like, like private cornstalk, half the size. I was like 32 pounds and the slightest gust of wind would blow me like to the left. And I never, I'll never forget like sitting among the crowd and like high rise shorts. I have my Parks and Rec shirt on and I'm like, I'm ready to play. And just one by one. Everyone's getting picked. And I'm like sitting there and I'll never forget like the look on the guy's face who got stuck with me as I was the last one. And he kind of had that look like, and he rolled his eyes. And I will never forget this feeling. For those of you who have like been with me for the last eight years, if you were in like fourth grade when I got here with four, five, six, I will never forget this feeling. And I remember sitting there as like an eight, nine year old 
going, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to be the most competitive kid on planet earth in every game that I play. I never want the feeling of feeling like I'm being a burden to somebody on their team. You know what I'm talking about? And so this like defined like the course of my life, probably up until like at least like two years ago in marriage of like, like I want to win at everything, everything that I play. If you've played cornhole with me here in the last six months, you know. I want to win. If I'm playing spike ball, I don't care if you are like a seventh grade girl or like a 22 year old man, I play you the exact same way because I want to, like, I wanted to make it clear that like, I will never be a burden on anybody's team. And I, I hated the fact that I was small. So I always had to like make up for it in trying to be really fast or, or really coordinated, do anything that I could. Cause I just wanted to play and I wanted to prove that I wasn't the worst. You with me? And you know what's wild is often this is how we think God thinks about us. That in fact, he's looking upon our lives and he's looking at like the landscape of the earth and he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like this is the crop that I have to work with. And all of a sudden what ends up happening is we, we might come to church and we, we might open up the scriptures and we might like read the Bible and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I wanna be somebody that God wants on his team. Let me get my life together so that like God can like put me on a pedestal in front of the world and say, look at this human being. Like, look at this son, look at this daughter. Like they got it together and we want so hard. We want to work so hard to like, to like make sure that like we're a worthy, a worthy selection for God's people. And the reality is Jesus has done a lot of work up until this point in the book of Matthew, to make it really clear to us, we're not that type of people. You're not the type of person, I'm not the type of person who have our lives together in such a way that we're worthy to be picked. We in no way, shape, or form would be anybody's first choice on the righteousness scale. On the scale of having life together, but this is where the gospel becomes good news is the gospel doesn't start with our choice. The gospel starts with God's choice. Are you with me? The gospel does not start with, with you going, oh, there's a God who cares about me, so I'll choose him. The gospel starts with a God looking upon you before the foundation of the world and saying, I choose them. God making a choice despite what you or I have or have not done to come and to save the world. It's not gonna be rooted on how likable you make yourself over the course of your lifetime. It's not gonna be rooted in how appealing you make yourself over the course of a lifetime. The gospel is God's choice first. Are you with me? And this is what Jesus is wanting to, us to see here. Check out verse 27. He says, all things, everyone say all things. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son. Pay attention here. And anyone to whom the son, what? Chooses 
to reveal him. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The God of the universe. Brothers and sisters, friends, has made a choice. Looking upon you and me. And he's not looking at the well put together you. He's not looking at the you who, who's talented. He's not looking at the you who's got their act together. He's not looking at the you who seems clean. He's looking at all of you. Every part of your life. And he made a choice. He made a choice to reveal himself to you and to me in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's choice first. Are you with me? Don't ever lose sight of this because if you get this in reverse and you start operating under the mentality that, wait a minute, the gospel begins with your choice, your decision. You're gonna live a life filled with anxious toil. Are you with me? You're gonna live a life trying really, really hard and yet realizing you'll always come up short in being a worthy choice. But if the gospel is God chose first, then you get to function from a place of being and not performing. Are you with me? This is huge. The gospel is God's choice. But he doesn't just end there. I love what he says in verse 25. And I don't wanna put it up here yet because he makes really clear that the gospel is not just God's choice, but the gospel is for little children. Can we put the second point up? Little children. You know another way to say this? Is the gospel is for the dependent. The gospel is for those who are in need. Look at verse 25 here. Let's put verse 25 on the screen. Jesus, looking up to his father, says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? Little children, you've hidden these things from those who feel like they got life together. You've hidden these things from those who are the religiously astute among us. You've hidden the truth of the good news from those who feel like they can walk the walk all by themselves. But you know who you gave the truth to? You know who you opened the eyes to? Is those who see they have a need. A couple of years ago, my wife and I, we were traveling back from Arizona and we were sitting in the airport waiting at our gate. And I love sitting in airports waiting at the gate because it's like the best time ever to people watch. And if you wanna know you have a sin nature and that you're a judgmental person, go sit at an airport and people watch. Because of all the critical like thoughts that you have going through your head as you look at people, you're like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't do that. Oh my goodness, I don't have that. You would seriously wear that on a plane? My goodness, like all of the thoughts that you have. And I'll never forget sitting there at our gate and I watched this mother and this father like kind of walk out of like the kind of the family restroom area with like three, four kids. And I'm like, oh my goodness, grace beyond their lives right now. 
I mean, the kids were so young. It was like, it was like five, three, like one and a half to two, and then like newborn, okay? And so I'm watching, I'm watching mom. Mom's got newborn with her, like carried on. She's got like, like the baby bag on her backpack and, and she's walking with like, with like three-year-old and five-year-old just this total firstborn. Like I'm doing my own thing. I don't care what mom and dad says, right? Like, and dad, dad is, dad is like the pack mule, right? Dad's got like all six suitcases and carry-ons like, like on. So he's got like, three backpacks on his back. He's like carrying like two like roller bags and he's got like, like a car seat like thing on his front chest, you know, just like pack mule. And their gate was boarding. And so, so they're playing, their plane's boarding. They're like, they're like walking through and the parents got it all together. And you have the, the one and a half two-year-old following behind dad, like, like blankie in hand, he looks as miserable as life could ever get. Like, like dragging his feet, you know, like, like blankie on the ground. And like, you can just tell, like he, he, he looked like he just woke from his nap, like, and he's irritated. <laughs> and the moment happens where it's like, right when they're getting on the gate, it's like dad, dad's like got the phone and he's like getting like all five boarding passes, like scanned as they're trying to get on the plane. Mom gets on the plane. Like one and a half year olds with him. So dad gets a scan, dad starts walking and the one and a half year old comes behind dad and just literally right before he boards the plane, just, <laughs> I mean, just like right to the ground, face just square on like the, the, the tarmac. Like, and he just starts making these like moans of death, you know, just like, oh, so miserable. And I'm, I'm, I'm like looking, I'm looking at this situation take place and I will never forget what happened in this moment. I'll never forget. Dad, with all the stuff over, he stops and he turns around and he looks at his boy on the ground. And like, I'm, I'm like waiting for like the situation for like, you know, when you see like parents, like it's like, a, like the change happens in their face, you know, where it's like, Oh my gosh, they've had their moment. But that wasn't what took place in this moment. The dad like turned around, he saw his boy on the ground and instead of being frustrated, he just took a deep breath and he smiled and he let go of the two bags that he was holding in his hands and he walked back over and he picked up his limp boy who remained limp (laughs) as he's picking him up and he threw him over his shoulder and he just let him moan in his shoulder. And he turned back around and he grabs the two suitcases with the one arm and just pulls them over as he carries his little boy. Do you know why a child has the freedom to do something like that in an airport? There's so many answers to that question. You know why? Because he knows that the primary person he wants to hear his cry is his father. He wants his dad to know that he's miserable. Why? Because who's the only one that's gonna be able to help his misery in his mind? Dad. 
Don't lose this. For the amount of times that Jesus in the gospels looks at his followers and he goes, look, unless you can become like one of these, unless you can become like a child, one who who doesn't second guess where his needs are gonna be met. That child is not wondering who's gonna feed him. He knows who's gonna feed him. That child isn't wondering who's going to take care of him. He knows who's gonna take. And in fact, he has no desire or any effort to wanna pick himself up and walk on the airplane by himself. His desire His hope, his longing is that in his weakness and in his frustration and in his like coming to the end of himself, dad'll come through. Don't lose this. Jesus is saying, those are the people that I've chosen to reveal this good news to. The people who have come to the end of themselves the people who are not looking to themselves, to their money, to their religion, for their strength and hope to meet their need. He's saying, no, no, no. The gospel has been made clear, it's been revealed to those who realize that they are nothing without their heavenly father. Are you with me? The gospel is for little children. The gospel is for the dependent. The gospel is for those who are in need. And we have to catch this, friends. We have to catch this. You have to, you have to begin to see this because here's the thing, we never graduate from it. You start to follow Jesus and you follow Jesus for 10 years, you never get away from this. You never get away from being a son, a daughter, a human being who's in need. Are you with me? And this is where verse 28 through 30 becomes really, really precious to us. Because then the question at hand, if you're reading Matthew's gospel, if you're listening to this good news, okay, so you're telling me that the kingdom of heaven is, is, is for, for people who are in need, for, for, for people who are like little children who realize that, only their needs can be met by dad, then how does God plan to meet this need? What's God's plan to take care of his people? How is God gonna bring about healing? How is God gonna bring about salvation? How is God gonna bring about hope for my life? What is that supposed to look like? Verse 28 through 30. Can we put those verses on the screen? In light of those questions, Jesus says, come to me. Hey, you, you who are broken, you who are depressed, you who are anxious, you who are lonely, you who are hurting, you who are poor in spirit, you who are persecuted, for my name's sake. You who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You who are meek. 
come to me. Come to me. You, you who has an addiction, come to me. You whose parents are getting a divorce, come to me. You who's wrestling with such bondage and sin, come to me. You who's wrestling with fear, come to me. Come to me. All who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This brings me to my third and final point. And that's the gospel is exchange. This good news, this good news is the reality of God giving us something while simultaneously taking something from us. Are you with me? The gospel is exchange. Have you ever had a a moment in your life where you felt like you got a killer deal on something and you were thrilled about it? Like, you couldn't wait to tell people. My, our first year of marriage, Mariah and I, we were, we were just about to get married. Three, we, it, we, we were three weeks before the wedding and up, up until this point, our plan was to move down to the really tough, hot and disgusting state of Texas. <laughs> and our plan was there was, a, there was a small church down there and family down there that we were really, really connected with and we really wanted to go be with them. And so our plan up until that point was we were gonna move to Texas. And about three weeks before our wedding, we heard the Lord say, I want you to stay in Colorado. And we wrestled. We sat there and we were going, wait, what? what? And we heard him say, I want you to stay in Colorado. And at that time, I was working three jobs. I was working at the Panera, at the shops of Briargate. I was the, the dish boy cleaning back there. I was a tennis coach at Banning Lewis Ranch's clubhouse and I worked their front desk in their clubhouse. Three jobs, working to just save as much money as I can. And my wife, she had just graduated high school. That's a story for another time. And she was working at Starbucks. We were broke in every sense of the word. We couldn't afford to even get a one bedroom apartment here in Colorado Springs at the time, it was too expensive. And we sat there and we heard the Lord say, I want you to stay in Colorado. And so in faith, we said, okay, we're gonna trust you. And so we get married, we go on our honeymoon, we come back and we're house sitting for this this family who was in Hawaii for a couple weeks. And so we're staying at their house and I'm sitting there just like kind of turning my temples like, Lord, how is this going to work? How can we afford to live here? Like we we couldn't even get like a a rinky-dink apartment on the furthest south side of the city. And so we were just trying to gear up and figure out, okay, how are we gonna piece this together? And then I get this phone call out of the blue from a single older lady who lived off the golf course in a home in Pine Creek. She calls me up and she says, hey Tim, she's an old family friend. She's like, hey, I wanted to know if you and your wife were willing to come sit down and talk with me. I want to buy you guys lunch. And we were like, okay, yeah, sure. So we go and we sit down to lunch with her. And she says, look, I have, a, I have a request. She's like, I'm about to take off and I'm about to go to California for a year. And I wanted to know if you guys would live in my house rent-free for a year. The only thing you have to do is send me my mail once a month. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, We'll pray about it. Yes, God said yes. We heard, he's, whoa. I'll never forget this moment. 
God speaking. And the only thing that we could see was we have nothing. We don't have much, but we're gonna trust you. We're gonna trust you. And the exchange that we were able to receive in light of trusting God. And every time I come to these verses, Matthew 28, 29, and 30, what Jesus does here is he reminds us of the the divine exchange that happens in this good news. He says, here's the trade-off. You come to me with your heaviness. You come to me with your weariness. You come to me worn out and you give that to me and here's what I'll give you in its place. I'll give you rest. And in fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke did? It is several different things. What it would do is it, was, it would relieve a burden. It would, help, it would help distribute the weight. What Jesus is saying is like, I want you to take my weight, but that's not the only thing a yoke would do. A yoke would operate as a restraint. And what Jesus is saying here is he's like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to let go of your performance. I I want you to let go of your need and your ability to have to try harder to get it right. And in its place of letting it go, in its place of your performance, here's what I'm gonna give you, my performance. Over the last near eight years of me sitting as a leader here at New Life Church, I can't tell you the amount of times I've sat across the table from a student from a parent, from a homeless person who walked in our doors and they looked at me and they said, I don't know, I can't hear God and I don't even know what he thinks about me, but the only thing that I can feel sure of is that he is frustrated with me because of how I've done. And I'll respond with a question. I'll say, look at me. I don't want you to answer the question, how do you think God feels about you? Answer me this question. How do you think God the Father feels about God the Son? What do you think God the Father thinks when he watched his son in Matthew chapter four go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights with no food to be tested and tempted by the devil and after temptation, after temptation, after temptation, he watched his son stand firm. What do you think God the Father thinks about God the Son when it comes to the way God the Son lived here on earth? Do you think maybe if this story is true, If this gospel is true, do you think maybe that God the Father is looking down at God the Son and with the same words that he says in Matthew chapter three when his son goes into the waters of baptism and and comes up and the heavens break open and the spirit descends like a dove and a voice from heaven goes, this 
this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Do you think that that is true? That that is the way God the Father feels about God the Son? Are you with me? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if you come to me, then what's true of my relationship with my father becomes true of your relationship with the father. When God the father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your brokenness. What he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. He sees someone who was in need and he sees that that need, would, need was met by the blood of his son. The gospel is exchange. Christ takes our sin, our brokenness, our frailty, our hopelessness, and in its place, he gives us his life. Scott, can you bring the lights down? Can you bow your head for a moment? And in fact, if you can, I'd like you to find a, a space on the floor on your knees, if you're willing and if you're able. If you wanna stay in your seat, you can. I'd like you to find a spot. can turn the screens off. That's okay, we can take them to black. Scott, can we go a little darker on the stage? If there were three words and three words alone that you could hear from the word of God this evening, from the scriptures, my hope is that you can hear these three simple words from the person of Jesus Christ. Come to me. Come to me. But there's a condition to this coming. There's a condition that he lays out. He goes, look, if you're, if you're someone who's wise and understanding, if you're someone here this evening that thinks they got their life together, if you're someone here this evening who wants to prove your righteousness by your good works, this coming to him is not gonna be possible. The condition to come to Jesus is that you have to see you are in need. And so the question that we might have to ask before we come to Jesus is how do we know? How do we know that we are in need? How do we know that we need to come to him in the first place? I mean, life might be good for you right now. Life might be great. There's nothing wrong. It's going well. What could the issue be? 
What Jesus is saying is he's going, no, 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 no. This isn't about life circumstances. This is an issue of the heart. Are you someone? Are you someone who just wants to live your life, do your thing, live your own truth, or are you someone who is heavy laden and tired of having to carry it on your own? Are you tired of performing for God? Are you, are you tired of feeling like you're constantly coming up short? Are you tired of wrestling with some addiction that you've been dealing with for a long time and you just can't get free of it so you've just simply given up? Are you tired of being anxious? Are you tired of being fearful? Are you tired of feeling like you have to have your life together? Then this invitation is for you. Jesus is saying, come to me. I've made a choice. I've made a choice to pay it all for you. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to exchange. He wants to exchange what is heavy for his yoke that is easy and for his burden that is light. He wants to exchange your performance for his performance. And so how does this begin? How does this exchange begin? Following God's choice, brothers and sisters, it begins with confession. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna put this prayer up on the screen. This is a prayer that the church has been praying for hundreds, thousands of years. And what I wanna do as we head into this moment of response is I wanna say this prayer together. Do we have the prayer of confession to put up here? Awesome. And so here's the deal. There's no peer pressure here. There's no mandate on you here. But if you're in a place this evening where you realize you're someone in need and you want to respond to that invitation from Jesus, come to me. I want to invite you to say this prayer with me and then just take a moment to exchange with the Lord. Give him what's been heavy to you. Give him your performance. And let his yoke that is easy and his burden that is light rest upon you. So in light of that, if you feel led to, will you say this prayer with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will 
and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Let's take a moment with our heavenly father. Release what needs to be released and receive what needs to be received.